Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who took perverse pleasure in the national championship game, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Gerald, I, I didn't take perverse pleasure pleasure. It's very simple. The only team from Texas that should ever win a national championship is the University of. Um, so I'm going to, unlike, I guess, some people who choose to root for every Texas team, which is a wild thing to me, I'm going to root against every other team from Texas. I obviously will root against A&M and Baylor and Tech, but, I, I you know, even TCU, who's, who's only slightly worse than those, I will root against them as well. Heck, I'll root against... Texas State and UTSA if I have to. And I like those guys. No one but Texas gets to win national championships uh, in, in any sport, ideally, but in football especially. The national championship game is what I'd like to, to refer to as a sinkhole game. Like if a sinkhole uh, breaks out in the middle of the field and nobody can play so everybody loses, it's great for me, right? I don't want anybody to get hurt. So it happens like pregame, maybe an hour or so before people start warming up. So like nobody gets hurt, but the game is impossible to play, right? Everybody loses. That's what it feel, felt like for me. The, the only person who I even felt remotely bad for is actual saint of a human being, Melissa Trebowasser, who comes on this podcast and chops it up with us is is as a friend has done that for years she was you know also chopping it up with paul feinbaum teaching him the the frog finger thing uh on the sec network so congrats to melissa trebwaser for making it photographing and and being a uh full capital a j journalist the sec networks melissa trebwaser that's right. That's that's absolutely correct. That Paul Feinbaum's co-host, Melissa Treb, no, for momentary co-host. She's better than that. But, uh, you know, other than that, even even the TCU fans I like, I'm like, you know, you, you deserve to, to have some pain after the amount of luck you've had uh, all season. Truly, probably the luckiest season of football. But that's not important. We know that Texas had an average age of around 19. TCU starters were closer to 23. It's hard to replace all that. Um Cinderella is doesn't have a sequel, right? I have never read that story. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if they have a bit of a come down next year. Um, but what a ride. What a game. Man, my family in Georgia who are diehard Bulldogs fans have had a lot of pain themselves. Georgia used to be almost like the SEC Clemson who just found a way to lose. And boy, have they figured out how to change that narrative. I think the scary part is that um, the coach is like, what, 20 years younger than Nick Saban? So, like, there's not even a retirement looming. It's just, like, a scandal is the only thing that's going to save college football from this buzzsaw, right? Like, I need something, not heinous, right? I need I need something that's, like, acceptable college football behavior, but technically violation of the rules, right? Like, something that we're all like, yeah, that absolutely happens, but not something that the NCAA will let, will let uh, occur. Here it is. Kirby Smart after years of a running tab at Chick-fil-A, goes down in the most Georgia of ways for Chick-fil-A fraud, for a uh, a $1.6 million unpaid Chick-fil-A tab that he assumed uh, because he's the coach of the Bull Bulldogs, he just doesn't have to pay over 12 years. Um, that's that's 
that's my hope. Uh, the most Georgia way to take him down, and maybe honestly, um, he could go down like Harbaugh for a burger receipt. That's also a thing that's possibly <laughs> happening. But that's it's true. either here nor there. We do have to start off with with a serious note. Um, since the last time we recorded, the Texas basketball program has parted ways with uh, Chris Beard, fired for cause after being arrested uh, due to a domestic violence incident at his home. Um, the legal proceedings and how it, this will be adjudicated in a court of law are pretty separate from the decision that Texas made to uh, to part ways with Chris Beard, and, and it will potentially get ugly, even though Texas state law probably will keep it from getting too litigious. That's fine uh, and good, but the the side that we need to talk about here is one um, Texas and, and Christo Conti and, and all that made made the hard decision made what I think we can now say I feel like was the right decision for various reasons um, but Chris Beard no longer the coach at the University of Texas uh, and I think Texas is moving on I don't think we need to go too deep in this I think anyone who's a Texas fan has heard about this has thought about this has probably had tons of conversations with their friends family college buddies, whatever, um, about this. Um, we don't need to beat it into the ground. I just, before we move off it, want to say there are times that things are bigger than sports and it is good to be on the right side of history. And it's nice when looking back to be judged, like, will Chris Beard find another landing spot down the road some point? And will we rue when he wins two national championships at some other school? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It could be, but I really don't care. Uh, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I mean, the, the, the pride in winning traditions, right, of, of the University of Texas. I, they, they, we take that stuff seriously. I think, you know, Chris Del Conte put out in his kind of athletic director blast this week without really directly, you know, going into it, but kind of just saying that, that he meets monthly with all the coaches on campus. And they talked this month about what it means to be a leader and what that role means and, and you know, what they're developing these kids both on and, and off the field court, whatever, uh, for, for life and, and, you know, how the eyes of Texas are always upon you. And a lot of that sounds, sounds a bit cliched, but I, I think it's important, right? I'll just leave it there, right? There, there was a point, I think when this all happened, Texas was number two with a real shot to be number one in the country. Um, that's a tough decision to make, right? Baylor football has never been number one or number two, and they protected a culture of the opposite, right? Like that's why people, rep, that's why they feel reprehensible to a lot of people was the actions made in the wake, right? Texas, have they been perfect in everything? No, but I think, you know, ultimately they erred on the side of being on the right side of history. And so I'll just leave it at that. Domestic abuse is never okay. Believe women, all that, it, it all applies. And um, we'll just move on and leave it at that. And it's going to be an interesting, wild couple months, I'm sure, uh, as we figure out what's next. It's going to be interesting. I think Rodney Terry has a shot to solidify himself in this role. I think the legal side of things aside, right? Um, sending Chris Beard into somebody's living room to try to recruit is a situation that just could not happen moving forward. I going going to talk to somebody's mother or grandmother or sister in or in a in-home recruiting visit would likely be a tough proposition for him. Now it could it could have reper repercussions for Texas on the recruiting trail. Uh, you know, Ron Holland and his mom uh, were pretty active on the Twitter sphere what, the day that it happened. Uh, so we'll we'll obviously monitor that. He signed a letter of intent, so uh, the school would have to release him from that. But I I imagine Texas would if he decided that he wanted to go elsewhere. Uh, we'll keep obviously monitoring it. Like I said, Rodney Terry has an opportunity to get. Um, himself into this role. I think it's going to take a, a significant tournament run, uh, unlike Texas has seen in a while, for that to happen. But we'll keep monitoring that, obviously. But Texas, in the game immediately following that, after a weird, we'll just call it the high-scoring, high-flying 116-103 to 103 
loss to Kansas State. Texas got back on in the win column, 56 to 46, played some defense. People were critical of Rodney Terry's ability to coach defense after that Kansas State game. And Texas went out and did it. Now, they also played really terrible offense, and the officiating was a part of that. I think when you watch this game, uh, they let them play pretty rough and pretty uh, pretty tough on both ends of the floor, which I'm fine with. If you're, they called it even, which felt okay to me. Yep. Uh, if you're gonna yep. if you're gonna if you're gonna let them play play tough, call it even, and they did. And Texas came out by ten. Yeah, I, I never really care. Again, as long as it's equal and you're you're either calling everything or calling nothing, I kind of prefer somewhere in the middle to, to calling nothing, right, versus making it a free throw fest. Uh, Texas hit more of their free throws, so I guess that is a good thing. Uh, another area Oklahoma State didn't thrive in. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, if you compared that Kansas State game to, like, the defensive level of an NBA All-Star game, um, this defensive level was, you know, I don't know, like a like a – I don't know. I imagine a, a uh, second division Greek basketball. Everyone's just just <laughs> bodying up and 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 hacking and slashing and pushing and uh, blocking shots. I mean, it was just it was rugged. I'll put it that way. OSU had twelve blocks, and it feel like they had ten of them in the first half. I mean, they were just blocking everything that Texas put up. Um, a little bit of adjustment there in in Texas. It wasn't as though they played well, but they did kind of get hot. The 12, one, 12 to one run uh, over the final six minutes, basically, to see this one out. So they figured something out towards the end there offensively. Um, but but you know, it wasn't just. OSU playing good defense, forcing Texas to shoot 31%. Um, Texas played pretty incredible defense themselves. They had 18 turnovers to, to eight assists, right? A, a 8 to 18 ratio is the exact opposite of what you want if you're Oklahoma State. Um, but they held them to 30% shooting, including 28.6% from deep. Just good defense there. And, and I thought, you know, it was interesting when, when Terry was in his, his press availability this week was talking about was asked about Beard, and he, he talked about it, but said that he had been offered something of a co-head coach position to focus on the defense and so it'd been interesting to see texas score more but struggle a little bit more on the defensive side in previous games which kind of led to that tipping point so i don't know if that was a reawakening in philosophy or what um, but this felt like you know what we saw last year from that texas team it's gonna be low scoring on both sides but they're gonna really hold you know another team to to under 50 and they're gonna win a lot of those games so um all in all, I'd say, again, a, a good win. Two Jekyll and Hyde performances, but if they find the medium and can hit the shots, but the Knights, they don't hit them. If they can play that, turn that level of defense on, it's great. Um, surprise, surprise, Marcus Carr led the team in this one with 12 points. Um, really, truly looking like our best player all year, which is which has been uh, great to see. And I think, as you talked about, Gerald, that potential tournament run, um, though there's a lot of good players on this team and a lot of players to contribute, I think you know right now this is Marcus Carr's team, and he was – Celebrated as such as one of the midseason Wooden Award uh, 25 uh, semifinalists. So, I mean, he's being recognized as one of the best players in college basketball, and he's playing like it right now. Yeah, and, and we talked about it preseason, getting him into a two-guard spot, getting him out of that facilitator role, getting him out of having to be the trigger man and just letting him play ball and letting him play offense is paying dividends for Texas, right? So uh, the opportunity for him to close this chapter of his basketball career on a high note is is uh, he's capitalizing on it with with his performance thus far I mean even in the losses he he has been good right so for Texas um the Big 12 is just going to be a meat grinder this year for everybody, not just Texas, right? Uh, this is one of those years where the Big 12 is just going to be absolutely stinking brutal. And it's it's a legitimate possibility that 
like nine of the 10 teams would make the tournament, if not all of the basketball playing teams of the conference, right? At this point, uh, if the season ended today, probably most of the Big 12 makes the NCAA tournament. Gerald, I'll take you one further. If the season ended today, and, and Ken Palm's rankings are not always perfect, but they're pretty closely mirrored how the selection committee with, with what formulas they use. If we're going to use Ken Palm's, because those are visible um, rankings, Gerald, how many of the teams would be at least, not even in the tournament, but a number eight seed or better out of the Big 12? Let's go with eight for symmetry. It is nine. It is nine ah. teams. And, and Texas Tech is just, they're the worst. They're 0-3 in conference. Hate to see it. Um, they are uh, the lowest ranked Ken Palm team, and they're 41. They're just outside the top 40. So I think, you know, four, 41 will still get you. I'm not a math major or anything, but a uh, right around a 10-11 seed. So um, that's all 10 teams, not only in the tournament, but in your top 10 seeds. Now, of course, Seeding gets a little funky, and it doesn't mean that's guaranteed. But that's a really good conference, and you know it's going to be a freaking slog. It's going to be a grind. It makes you feel a little bit better about that Kansas State team because they've played well, not just against Texas. They have a transfer who's come in and, and really looks like the real deal for them uh, who can just put the ball in the basket. But, uh, you know, Coach Tang, right now Kansas State looks better than Baylor, which is crazy to say. So maybe he was the secret to Scott Drew's success all along. I would I would prefer that than Scott Drew secretly being good at something. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's any, any given night in the Big 12, home, away, it doesn't matter. It's a fight. Um, and so Texas will have to play a couple of these different types of games uh, to win a different – you know, game every every week, right? They're going to have to be multiples of teams and multiple personalities and just do enough to win, right? I'll take one-point victories, three-point victories all, all the time. They don't have to blow anyone out. Just find ways to to win and, and get to the the tournament through and stay healthy through this this meat grinder. But a good thing that I like to see in this one was Dylan Mitchell tied his career high with 12 rebounds, three steals. Just he's, he's active. And I think as the season goes on, he's going to be a really interesting player for us. Brock Cunningham only played 14 minutes, but in the final uh, 10 minutes he played, he got uh, eight points, two three-pointers, a couple of rebounds. He's just uh, he's clutch. He's, he gives teams a different look. Um, Texas has a lot of weapons. Next up for Texas, two home games back-to-back -back Wednesday against TCU, the day you're listening to this, and then Texas Tech, who is uh, absolutely trash can water thus far during conference play on Saturday. Switching to the ladies, the ladies have had, um, they're, they're like, right, they're just dipping their toe in the rankings, right? They, they'll win several games in a row and then have a weird one. Uh, so the ladies split last week, topping TCU 81 to 69, and then going to Stillwater coming away with an 86 to 82 loss, but opened the week this week with a big win over ranked Kansas, number 23 Kansas, absolutely like ran them off the court 72 to 59. Uh, hopefully Texas will not no longer be receiving votes and hopefully jump into the top 25 with that big win uh, at the mood. Yeah, I, I don't fully get this team, right? It's it's hard to say. Deanna Gaston looks like, you know, the real deal. She had 20 and 6 against TCU, and I think she had 22 against Oklahoma State in the loss. Only six points in the win. Like it's hard it's hard to say that it's uh she's stepping in the Ilea more role on the offensive side, but she, she is on you know three out of every four nights. Uh, what we do know is Rory Harmon continues to be a double-double machine, eight uh, and 11 tonight when we're recording this. That game just ended against Kansas, but she also became the fourth player in program history against TCU last week uh, to post a triple-double, 17 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, just you know all over the place. Um, a player who's coming on 
and will be really interesting to see uh, if she can be consistently a threat uh, is, is Shaley Gonzalez, right? She had uh, 13 in that TCU game, um, 26 tonight against uh, against KU. So Sonia Morris kind of early on in the year was our, our big scoring guard, and, and Shaley Gonzalez faded back a little bit. Rory's come in, and now it feels like um, they have a three-guard rotation like we truly thought, and it, it can be either of those, uh, whoever the hot hand next to Rory, and then, um, you know, someone inside. So I think they have the pieces. It's just a matter of, of finding that consistency, and maybe Vic's trying some things. We'll see uh, what it looks like as they go through, uh, you know, a, a tough conference, but one that they were expected to be right at the top of. Again, the the Big 12 on the women's side is another meat grinder, right? Like Oklahoma State's a good squad. They've got Iowa State on Sunday, who's a top 15 team, right? Like this is going to be a meat grinder year for the ladies as well. But I think, um, you know, when you get 26 from, from Shea Gonzalez in a, in a win, like you, that is a good night for you, right? I think she hit like four from, from three-point range, right? Like like there's a, there's a formula for them. Um, but I don't I, I don't know if anybody knows it, right? Like, it, it, there's something there. A lot of it's getting big points in the paint. I think when you look at, like, the TCU win, they got, like, 34, 30, 34 in the paint. It's like, that's a big deal. It's like, like being dominant down low, being able to get and attack the the, the basket uh, has been a recipe for success for them. And I think uh, that's something to just keep track of moving forward. You knew we'd have to find a way to get football into this somehow. And so with the football season officially closed after TCU got their brains kicked in, by Georgia, we got the final coaches poll of the year, meaning we could have friend of the show, Director's Cup date himself, Brett Wilkinson on to help us break down and look at the Director's Cup standings for the 2022-2023 season and see where uh, the defending two-time defending champion Longhorns stack up with the rest of them. And Brett, how are you doing today? I am good. Uh, It is Mardi Gras season here in New Orleans, so we're gearing up for that. And um it's a fun time. I, I I will be tasting your wares of crawfish in about a month. I'll be up there, so uh, we'll we'll have to have to link up. I think I'm I'm, I'm having a boil at our Airbnb, so uh, you have to drop by, yeah, for sure. But uh, you know, we the crawfish soon to be spicy. Brett, I, I'm I'm wondering. What you call transition in the business. I'm wondering if the fall uh, <laughs> closing. Cup dates uh, will be spicy as well. What do you What are you seeing as we uh, look at fall, and maybe we can look ahead to spring once we get done. But but as we wrap this up, what how's it look for the horns and, and the general landscape? There there is definitely some spiciness going on. Um, y'all, y'all mentioned the coaches poll today. I, I don't know that Longhorn Nation knew how big of a deal this update would be um, with the coaches poll, um, but there were a lot of points on the line. Um, I, I pointed out on my Twitter earlier. Had Texas been number 26, you know, in the other receiving votes category, football team would have scored 25 points. But hanging on by the thinnest of margins at number 25, that was a difference of 24 points. So the football team scored 49 Directors' Cup points up from zero. That's an infinite multiplier right there <laughs> from last year. That uh, for, for our fans who are also not uh, math uh, majors, infinite multipliers are good. Those are good things. That's a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it really it just wrapped up a fall for Texas. Um, I know we've, you know, you've discussed all the finishes, but really it was a fall that saw every team improve except for men's cross country. And, and it's really not that they did bad i think they dropped from 13th last year to 18th this year but across the board soccer women's cross country volleyball 
um, and football all improved their scores from last year. And I think that's that's one of the big things we want to talk about because the last two Directors Cup wins for Texas really were, were uh, come from behind doesn't seem like the right verbiage, but Texas really won it based on really strong winter and spring semesters. So Texas, uh, you know, improving significantly, it seems like it was like a triple digit improvement from year to year. Is that, is that accurate to say? That's right. That's right. So Texas is outpacing themselves from last year by about 111 points. Um, so yeah, that's triple digits there. You've got some math skills there as well. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, they're in a great place. Texas is never going to win. I mean, nobody's really going to win this in the fall, um, even as hot as North Carolina's been. They certainly don't have it, you know, in the bag. But Texas could lose the Director's Cup in the fall. They put up a few goose eggs. They have some bad showings. There's just not enough sports left for Texas to make it up. So they really do need to start strong on a yearly basis to have a chance. And just a quick little recap, I think that's the perfect place to put it for our, our listeners who maybe are new or missed your previous episodes or have forgotten. Tell the kind of basic overlay of the the algorithm again, how many items go into it and, and what Texas you know has to offer. Yeah, so the Director's Cup um, calculation, it's your top 19 scoring sports. Doesn't matter if it's um, men's or women's sports, it's all together. Um, and you have to count volleyball both basketball teams and baseball pretty simple formula really yeah i mean that sounds like four national championships right there for texas but uh (laughs) texas have has 20 you know sports i think as of now we'll talk a a moment about the the future but uh you know what they have a, a lot of those just by default we don't have some of the the ice sports and and things that happen in you know in the the first semester so uh, a lot of texas stuff does come and i think it's a good point they can they can can't win it in the fall but they can lose it so looking ahead then to the spring which which will be the bread and butter um we know that a lot of sports are are kicking off you know this this week or or in the next couple weeks right i think uh men's tennis is back now women's tennis uh and indoor track as well as swimming and diving all this Friday, uh, right after you're listening to this. So we have a lot of sports coming up. What, what do you, uh, what do you kind of projecting Texas where they need to be, uh, overall? You don't have to give us each prediction of each, you know, specific sport. That'd be pretty brutal, but, uh, where do you kind of feel they need to be? Well, I think the major thing right now is to, to watch the basketball teams. I think both of those teams could go in and, and, who knows what kind of trajectory. So we want good finishes there. Those, those scores have to be counted. So we need good finishes. Um, other than that, you know, if, if you're looking on average, if Texas is finishing around top 10 on average across the board, that's going to be competitive. Last year, they were like, they averaged fifth or sixth place across all sports, which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have to be that fantastic. But if they're if they're scoring a lot of top ten, top eight finishes, they're going to be in a good place. I mean, the the rowing team we are, we can pencil that one in for a hundred points, right? Like that one. Feels Mark it like, down. Just 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 we can do it do it in like a heavy pencil, a dark pencil. But um, 
Yeah, like like we like we've said, the generally it's the the winter and spring that wins this for Texas, and you know we saw national multiple national championships last year. So uh, Texas being because they they weren't in the top ten in the Directors Cup standings coming out of the fall last year, so they're in a solid position to make another late surge. The track team, the the women's basketball team, potentially the men's basketball team, though that's you know kind of iffy as it stands right now. Uh, Rowing still on the board, right? Softball, baseball, like the the big hitters track. Track and field, big hitters, swimming and diving, big hitters still on the board for Texas. Yeah, lots of good results coming. I know the um, social media accounts post, you know, top 25 Texas. Follow that. I know y'all talk about top 10 Texas all the time. That's going to be the reality, I think, this winter and spring as well. And it's all those top 10 um, finishes going along with a few national championships sprinkled in that, that really lets Texas compete in the Director's Cup. Well, you're a good friend of ours, but we're not going to let you off easy. I mean, I know there's a lot to be had, but are you going to come out and be the first to predict that Texas is going to three-peat? Are you willing to say that on this very podcast? Too early to tell, or are you predicting? You know, I, with this, I try to be quite uh, objective. So we're wow. not quite there with the spreadsheet. You're a good steward. Well, I'm going to start plugging in numbers. Um, once once we get outdoor track and field rankings, that's when we can really start projecting. Um, what the finish will look like. But I think Texas is in a great spot. Once again, North Carolina is is looking great this fall. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna falter a little bit in the winter, um, spring. They just don't have those type of sports. Stanford's in a good place and you can't count Stanford out when it comes to the director's cup. So they still have like twenty sports left. Um, if they get some top finishes, they're gonna be up there. So uh, let, let's let's close on this note, um, and and I put it in the notes just to to make Gerald furious. Um, the, the, I'm calling this section the 21. Can you do something funny? That is a quoting Drake lyric, of course. Um, Texas goes from 20 sports to 21. Can you tell us a little bit about this? I think right when you were on the last time, you were you were. You may have spoke this into he, his he, existence. He predicted. We recorded it, and then they announced it like the next day. Yeah, yeah, we we put it on tape, but we didn't we didn't get it published uh, before Chris Del Conte um, got, he, he got we were coming press release out there. What about so? Yeah, you're, you're talking about beach volleyball being added to the mix. Um, they're not competing at the right. NCAA level this spring, but I think that was one of the sports that I said Texas should consider adding. Um, Chris, if you're listening, bowling <laughs> and rifle were the other two. Go Ooh. ahead and get that in the works. Um, but yeah, I think that if Texas expands with some more quality teams, it just gives you that much more wiggle room to have a few sports that might falter here and there, or we could just do what Texas has been doing and be fantastic across the board. How about both, right? Just add a bunch of sports right. and be elite, right? There's, there's no, there's no reason that you can't do both. Yeah. Or that's pretty much what Stanford did for their 25 year reign of terror <laughs> on the director's cup and i think i think some things have changed with their athletic department but that's that's the key to success honestly volume volume shooters well, well brett thank you so much for for joining us man if, if folks want more of what you've got to offer to keep up with the director's cup updates man where can they find you on the internet yep i'm on twitter i'm at direct underscore cup dates um, so find me there, follow me. That's where I post all my updates. Every national championship, I'm updating the scores um, with with a little um, 
little extra sprinkled in here and there when I can put something out. I love it. If you're not following uh, him on Twitter, I don't know that you're doing Twitter correctly. So make sure you give him a follow and uh, check out the cool stuff. Uh, thanks, Brett. Always coming on. It always uh, you're the right type of nerd. You're different than Gerald and I, but uh, it certainly it works for my brain. I, I love it when you break it down for us. Absolutely. Well, y'all have a good one. Thanks for having me. You as well, brother. Thank you. So that's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. A lot of movement for the football team this week. Big report. One of the biggest news is reports that UNLV is set to hire Brendan Marion as their offensive coordinator to replace the outbound Bobby Petrino. But a lot of people say that this move doesn't really make sense for Brendan Marion. But like UNLV, the offensive coordinator role is kind of a kingmaker, right? Like the last guy was only there a month and he got an SEC job. So like <laughs> it seems to be that um, like this is the place to be if you want to get a big time gig in a quick turnaround. Yeah, we, we know that, you know, Jimbo's been playing possum. Jimbo's been playing chess while the rest of us were playing checkers. He obviously tanked so that he could justify hiring a big time offensive coordinator. What most uh for whatever reason football f- minds of, of large sites have been saying uh bobby petrino one of the best offensive minds in college football in in 2023 they're saying that not 2015 um but uh he's he's um certainly a a, a well-known hire um and it it left a vacancy and barry odom you know is, is a is a well-known coach and, and especially coordinator, and it's going to be a team that people are watching. He's a defensive guy. He's hiring an offensive coordinator, and you see it with the Petrino hired that says, I'm turning over the reins to let you just control the offense, and I'm going to keep an eye on the defense. So it's you know it's going to be an offensive coordinator with a lot of autonomy. They're really going to probably let him go full go-go, um, which is his kind of... Uh, Offense that he, offensive philosophy that he is, he's uh, invented. Um, we didn't see a ton of go go concepts in in Texas in the time he was at Texas, but um, you know it'll be curious if he takes some things from Sark from the last time we saw him um, as an offensive coordinator. It's been a few years. Um, he probably should have gotten that role at Pitt, but Narduzzi let him go to come to Texas. When he hired, if you go back and listen to this podcast, Gerald and I both broke it down and said he's one of the hottest names and and, and fastest risers in college football. If we get two years out of him, we'll be grateful. Um, I think we all knew this would be done because Sark's going to call the plays, and he's a guy who wants to be calling plays. And so it makes sense. It's a good move for, for Marion. I, I think it is. I think he did a good job here stocking the, the cabinet. He's obviously a great recruiter. Um, it'll be very curious to see who Texas brings into that role. Um, hopefully someone who's a really strong recruiter, but also a great developer uh, of, of talent. But I think we're just in a, a much better position in that room, uh, especially with Nayer coming back healthy, with, uh, with some other players you know, coming, coming back, uh, as far as we know, everyone back. So um, I think... He left it in a better place than he found it. You can say that for sure. So um, after a couple of years of struggling to recruit at that position, a key, maybe your most vital recruiter position, um, it's uh, it's going to be a very key hire for Sark for whoever replaces Coach Marion. Yeah, I think that's like the the conversation that that you have around Brennan Marion is like there are guys who are developers and there are guys who are recruiters generally when it comes to like that wide receiver role. Uh, there are a, there are some like you look at uh, like Brian Hartline in in Columbus who there's a reason why he is who he is um, that like can do both, but there's not a ton of those guys out there. And so like the you know, Andre Coleman was definitely a developer over a recruiter, and we were com- we spent years complaining about him and the guy before him struggling to recruit that wide receiver position. Uh, so Brendan Marion comes in and, and flips the room 
in two years, like, or I guess a year, really a year and a half. Uh, so the ability for whoever comes in next to have a stock cupboard, they don't necessarily have to be the best recruiter in the world. They've got to land a couple of kids. Um, there are already names that are flying around and, you know, people are asking for Rashad samples. I don't, uh, again, I, I don't have sources. I don't have names. So we'll see how that, that turns out. But um, for Texas, again, we knew that this was going to be a short stay for Brendan Marion. And so uh, him going to the next OC role that he's looking for, uh, upward mobility is the name of the game for him. And, and we hope to see him have success out in Vegas. Uh, a big pickup for Texas to uh Basically all but close out the 2023 class. There's maybe one-ish guy out there for them in 2023. But four-star athlete Jelani McDonald uh, committed to Texas at the Army All-American game. Uh, thanked all of the pretty ladies out there <laughs> as part of his commitment. So uh, just, again, and already a legend in his own mind, which I appreciate. He was, like, all over the field for Waco Conley. He's like a three-star He's a three -star or a three-sport kid. Uh, he played wide receiver, quarterback, and defensive back for, for Waco Conley. Played defensive back in the All-American game, but also as a state champion, like, uh, triple jumper he jumped a 48 2 as a junior so like an explosive athlete there uh, an average 20 and a half points in the like the 4a basketball playoffs like he's just an athlete and i i like having those kind of guys in the defense yeah i, I mean i think it, it may be because you know in today's day and age because he is such an athlete who played a lot of uh, a lot of sports in a lot of different positions and wasn't so hyper-focused that it may take his his development curve just a little bit uh, longer. Um, I, I think he probably projects as a defensive back for Texas. Um, you know, but even that is not always told, right? We know uh, Deshaun Jameson had a long career defensive back, started off as a wide receiver. You see guys, you know, obviously Roshan Johnson made the switch, but you see guys make the switch relatively frequently, right? The guys who can play multiple positions, and most of these guys do play, you know, a couple positions in high school, some like your Jordan Whitney play all the positions right and I think we're in a, a situation uh, like that it sometimes will you know you can tell the guy who played receiver in high school you know and got 100 catches 150 catches and ran 300 routes you know it, it has a little more precision than the guy who is just the best athlete so sometimes he ran the ball sometimes he threw the ball sometimes he caught the ball I think Jelani McDonald is certainly in that athlete category and that's not a bad thing I just you know it may be a uh, two years before we really see him on the field, unless he just comes in and is just a monster because the defensive back room uh, will, won't tip our hand, but it did get a little bit better uh, this week as well. Yeah, and, and he's a guy who, again, he played – he almost compares favorably to like DeMarvin Overshone at that Overshone. time coming in yep. as a five-star safety. Like he's shorter than Overshone, but he's already at like 6'2", 200. Jeff Choate was his primary recruiter, so I yep. think that gives you a little bit of insight into where Texas sees his like long-term future and honestly, potentially his NFL future, right? Like DeMarvin Overshone came in as a tweener defensive back just like him and ended up not seeing the field until he made the switch and, and ate his way down to linebacker. So I think for a guy like McDonald, seeing DeMarvin Overshone playing that role and being, you know, a little bit of an edge rusher, a little bit of a linebacker, a little bit of a cover linebacker. Like that's the NFL is moving towards hybrid linebacker kind of types. And so seeing what Jeff Choate and the Texas defense did with him, probably not a bad thing. If he's truly going to play linebacker, I think it's funny that Texas seems to do in, in the short Sark um, tenure a thing where they say, oh, we, we don't have any of that. Well, we'll by God overcorrect the heck out of that. We don't have any offensive linemen. Give me 50 of them. You know, we don't have any linebackers. Take 12 of them. Like they just, you know, I kind of I kind of like it. They're like, oh, we, we're a weakness. Well, it's now a strength. We, we just got we got 10 guys in this class and, and you better believe at least four of them pan out. Right. So that's that's a strategy. And I like it. Um, we were worried about linebacker a lot uh, heading into the year and, and we 
got a whole bunch of those kids if if he does uh, truly play at linebacker there with with a couple of the other ace recruits, including of course number one linebacker in the nation, Ant Hill, and two other absolute monsters. So um, just all in all, I think whatever position he plays on the defense, defensive back, linebacker, both. Um, I think it's great that we're getting big recruits on the defensive side of the ball as well. I think that's, you know, we're going to win games, do it in the trenches, do it with good defense. We'll figure out a way to get the offense. We have enough enough uh, studs there. It's going to come for us in the coming years. We're going to going to be a Sark offense. I, I, I just know it. Yeah. And again, I think um, this linebacker class absolutely flipped it. And uh, speaking of the linebackers and Anthony Hill, 16 of the 26 members of the class of 2023 are officially enrolled. I think the last day to enroll is uh, Thursday as you're listening to this tomorrow. So uh, Arch, Arch Manning, Cedric Bastard, Jonte Cook, DeAndre Moore all moved in on the offensive line. Jaden Chapman, Andre Kojo, Peyton Kirtland, and Connor Stroh. Colton Vasek, Big Sadir Mitchell, uh, Anthony Hill, uh, Leona Lefau, Darren Gallette, who's re- rehabbing an ACL, Manny Muhammad, and then two, not one, but two transfers are also on campus. Uh, Holmes from Lake Forest. And then... Daryl, who's, who's the second one? Is there a second? A guy who you and I lamented. So, uh, while we were doing this podcast in That's 2019, true. who Texas was unable to close with him, um, Jalen Catalan, who uh, ended up and was a very mean to Texas a couple of years ago, <laughs> um, decided to come to Austin and hopefully right some wrongs, but announced after a uh, two, like a day and a half visit, had dinner with Sark, announced that he was going to come to Austin to play out his final year of eligibility. So big pickups for Texas there and, and getting started with uh, – with winter conditioning. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You get those recruits who kind of just get stuck in your crawl when, when they don't come to Texas, and you just always think what could have been. I mean, we, we talk about a certain TCO receiver uh, who's likely to be the number one receiver in the draft. We've talked about him for, for three-plus years on this podcast about how much it sucks that we missed uh, on him. Um, and there's just a couple of those guys. And Jalen Catalan was one of those guys for me. I've watched his career because it was a position that I would have liked to have uh, him in at. Uh, there's a couple different times that I've thought, ooh, it would be nice to have him in our defensive backfield. He's had a tough couple years with some injuries, right? The last year that he was truly 100% fully healthy was his freshman year when he was a freshman All-American and All-SEC player. Um, he's been very good um, when healthy again just the past, uh, especially last season, ended early with, uh, with a shoulder injury. So um, if he can get back to full health, I mean, again, if, if he didn't have those injury things, they're talking Jalen Cattle on preseason All-American. And, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. That's yeah. the type of talent that he has. And it is a position of need for us, for sure, especially replacing Anthony Cook with a lot of seniority. I think it's a great move. But again, his upside is is first, probably second round NFL draft pick talent, um, without a doubt. So it's, it's a huge get for us. And a player I'm just finally happy to see, Don the Burn Orange. Feels good to have him there, and again, Texas. Uh, the the Texas defense could be pretty salty next year, in spite of what they're losing. Um, they could be they could be uh, could be all right. So uh, some miscellaneous miscellaneous football stuff. Jonathan Brooks underwent surgery for a hernia following the season, so he should be healthy for spring camp, but uh, never get to see that. Jordan Whittington and Christian Jones both denounced that they. We'll be returning for another year. Troy O'Meary found his new home at Arizona State following uh, Rashad Samples uh, out there to the desert. Uh, Ovio Gufo decided that he was going to move on, is in the transfer portal. And then we officially got word that Keandre Coburn and Mora Ojomo are both going to be declaring for the NFL draft. A lot of movement on the 40 acres on the, uh, uh, on the new side of things. Yeah, and I'm excited uh, both about Whittington and Christian Jones. Like you said, we're losing some leaders, some vocal leaders on this team. Um, 
they're both on the offensive side of the ball where you have to replace Bijan and, and certainly the, the, the outspoken leader of the team in Roshan Johnson. So I hope Whittington can step up and, and be a vocal leader. I hope Christian Jones, with the step up he had um, from his first year, kind of starting to his second year and last year, um, if he can you know maintain or even step up from that and, and you know just bring that, that senior leadership to a room that will be older next year, but still, um, you know, still f- filled with some young pups. Um, I think it'll be a, be a great uh, addition to have both of them back. But again, the offensive line more than any position. Again, look, look at TCU, right? Just, just look at every team. Look at Georgia with Stetson Bennett never breaking a sweat in the pocket. Offensive lines protecting your quarterbacks. I think Quinn Ewers, with, with time, we can see a whole different uh, offense uh, if, if we don't have to you know, put six linemen out on pass-blocking downs because we, we take some steps forward, and, and that comes with experience, that comes with seniority, that comes with uh, continuity. So hopefully Texas will uh, we'll see what this looks like moving into uh, spring practice here in just a couple of months. But uh, – They'll, they'll work out for the offseason. Hopefully Texas finds some of those leaders and leadership that they're losing. Number eight, men's tennis kicked off the spring season in Coral Gables. Not a bad place to be in January at the Miami Invitational featuring the aforementioned Miami Hurricanes. Number seven, Georgia, and number 10, South Carolina. Texas recorded seven wins, including three over top 25 ranked opponents. Um, Pierre-Yves Bailey. Got over on the number one player in the country, Ethan Quinn, 6'3", 6'4". Elliot Spazieri went undefeated in the weekend. The Longhorns will head back to the Sunshine State next week to face number 13, Florida, in Gainesville in their first duel of the year. Yeah, uh, PYB, pretty young thing. Um, Pierre Yves Bialy, uh, you got to have a little accentation on your pronunciation there, Gerald. Uh, would have been That's ranked, didn't, didn't, didn't play in the fall, but himself would have been ranked. But I like that, that Spaziri went undefeated and the number one guy went down. So there's a chance Elliot Spaziri jumps up to that number one spot, uh, at least number two. Uh, so it's good. Longhorns up and Longhorns. It's a good start to the season. Quick hit on some baseball recruiting. Texas got not one, but two commitments in the last week. Uh, starting with 2024, Harvard-Westlake, California. Shortstop Bryce Rainier. Uh, Rainier? Rainier? We'll go with that. Committed to Texas. He is potentially a guy who Texas will lose to the MLB draft. He has yeah. got first-round upside, according to many. He's like a top-10 high school player. So I don't expect him to make it to campus, but it's good to get him committed because – some you know some guys get wild hairs and decide they want to play in college for a little bit and have that experience and I'm not mad about it so get him committed and then see what shakes out. Uh, 2026 is a long way away though, but Texas picked up a commitment for that class as well. Lake Travis catcher Wyatt Gatlin pulled the trigger. He's a guy who likes to hit dingers. Yeah, also just a fantastic. Like, have you heard a more Texas baseball name than a guy named Wyatt Gatlin who plays catcher? I mean, that just feels like uh, a character from a, a Wild West novel. I uh, I'm ready for him to come on the uh, the 40 acres it's you know i love catchers so uh, i'm 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 always deep in in recruiting but especially the backstops and finally the track team not quite on the track yet still a little cold for that but julian alfred getting some what uh, getting some pub already named to the bowerman preseason watch list yeah a uh, track season indoor will pick back up this week gerald on the 13th um the uh, bowerman is the outstanding male and female and civilly track athlete obviously julian's for the uh, female and civilly track 
and field athlete. Uh, she was the 2022 NCAA 100 meter and four by one outdoor champion. She was undefeated in the outdoor season in the hundred. So you can say without a doubt, usually the person who runs the hundred, the fastest is the fastest person in the country. So that's her, Julian Alfred, fastest woman in the country, at least at the collegiate level. And she, as we talked about has posted some some national uh and international um eyebrow raising times so a a speed demon will be a fun season hopefully texas can bring home more hardware indoor and outdoor track second michael jackson reference of the podcast all right now it's time to take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses let's start with tennis Gerald, the men's tennis team added uh, Sudanwa Sidaram, a former Texas team captain, all Big 12 honoree, two-time Arthur Ashe Award recipient, well-regarded developmental coach in Austin. Uh, joined the team as a volunteer assistant for Bruce Burke. We've seen this with the baseball team. Uh, with Troy Tulowitzki previously, sometimes your, your volunteer assistant can be um, turned into a full-time coach. Sometimes it can just be an extra set of hands, uh, but a really important addition, I think, for a, uh, a tennis team uh, on the men's side that tries to keep up now with the, the women's side that's winning national championships. And speaking of the women's uh, team, they were ranked number one in the initial ITA Division One preseason poll. They'll be kicking off their season uh, as the men did in Miami on Friday. Gerald, something that I that I think you will be uniquely attuned to. Derek Johnson, one of your all-time favorites, you've said on this very podcast many a time, selected for induction into the College Football Hall of Fame. He'll be, uh, I believe, next year um, in December. Um, it's announced now, but it will be next December. will be officially inducted, and at that time will become the 25th Longhorn to do so. Gerald, thoughts? I've told this story on the podcast multiple times. Like Derek Johnson being at the University of Texas is the reason why I ended up at the University of Texas. Like the 2003 Red River game where he like the strip sack of I think it was Jason White, uh, or he like just flew down the field and another Texas player recovered it. Like I'd never seen somebody play football like that, and you know I'd been playing football for you know watching football for my entire life, and so um, I much deserved, well deserved. Uh, there has to be a situation to get that man's name in the rafters at DKR like there just has to be right like there's got to be something uh two time uh, I think he's a one of only like four five something Longhorns who are multiple time consensus All-Americans not just multiple time All-American but consensus All-Americans you know won every award that was available to him I, I yeah I don't I don't know I mean, we we need to uh we need to lobby Del Conte hard between now and his induction in in December get get DJ's number up there the guy deserves it. Uh, also, a legendary Chief. I have a buddy who's a Chiefs fan who moved to Austin, not as a UT fan, and all that he knew about Austin was Derek Johnson and Jamal Charles and Priest Holmes. Um, but, you know, pretty pretty good trio there. Um, speaking of NFL Longhorns, Gerald, there's a lot to break down as the season officially comes to an end. Um, and there's a we get, did our kind of Longhorn of the Week throughout the season, but we missed some guys in there. So I wanted to just go through and touch on a couple guys at the end of the season who – maybe didn't get their stats called out, but who played, uh, you know, in the NFL. Longhorns in the NFL is a big deal. We'll obviously give a couple updates of some players who are still playing, um, but just wanted to, to call a couple of them out who we don't call out every week. Um, Calvin Anderson, offensive tackle for the Denver Broncos, played in 14 games this season, started seven. Um, Caden Stern's a guy we loved, obviously winning the IR on that same team uh, with a hip injury, but um just wanted to give some shouts to the to the big fellows. We obviously also had uh, for your Miami Dolphins, right? We had Connor Williams, who started all seventeen games uh, at under center. Uh, 
also his teammate Brandon Jones went out in October uh, with a torn ACL. Only started all seven games and got 50 tackles, two sacks, one force fumble, three pass deflections. Had a really good season going when he went out. So you know both of those those defensive backs playing with with linemen uh, didn't have the seasons they wanted with them cut early, but but played really well. So hopeful for the young guys to come back even stronger. Another uh, lineman who played uh, a lot this season, Sam Cosme uh, for the Commanders. Haven't got to call his name. Jeff Swaim, guy who started 13 games, played 17 tight end, almost a lineman, just did a lot of the grunt work blocking, but did get 12 catches for a touchdown and 58 yards in there. Colin Johnson missed this whole year with a torn Achilles. Sad for him on the Giants, but he got Marcus Johnson a chance to play a little bit with those same Giants. Um, Adrian Phillips' name was called out a little bit less this year as he didn't have quite the stats, um, but he still played in 17 games and started eight. Had 66 tackles on the year, but a Patriot we called out a lot this year, only played special teams, still had 14 tackles and two fumble recoveries. Those are almost like Pro Bowl special teams numbers for Brendan Schooler was a great player, found a niche there. Um, did want to call out, you know, uh, just a couple of the, the, the other big bodies. We, we talked about Chuck Amenahu uh, kind of all year. Um, he, he didn't start a ton, but got four and a half sacks and a forced fumble and some, you know, good tackles this season. Hassan Ridgeway was on his way to a good year. Um, you know, started seven games before he went out with a chest injury. Uh, so, so, you know, some unfortunate injury all across there. Um, had a couple quarterbacks this year, which I like to see in, in the beginning and the end of their careers. Colt McCoy uh, played in four games with three starts, completed 90 passes for 780 yards, had a touchdown. Um, you know, probably not the most vintage Colt year, but man's cash and checks and, and a reliable uh, backup and brain on your on your team there. And then Sam Ellinger starting his career, started last week at quarterback, completed 23 of 35 for 209, two touchdowns. He did have two picks and a fumble, but that's okay. He played in four games with three starts this year. Um, bright future for him. We didn't expect him to come in in day one, but a lot to, to, to go there uh, as well. Um, Chris Boyd, not a guy we got to talk about a ton, but he started, you know, he played in all 17 games. Uh, this week, he had his best game of the season, five tackles, four of them solo. It was five of his 13 on the season. Uh, Jordan Hicks had another monster year. He uh, played all year, 17 starts, 129 tackles, um, 10 pass breakups, interception, forced fumble, just consistent, you know, consistently great as we know it. Um, anyone else we didn't talk about all year who you think I need to throw some shine on? Um, I think TQ, TQ Graham got talked about a lot. He's been out since November with a knee injury. Um, I think we, we, we hit most of them, if not this episode, than in previous episodes. There's a lot of Longhorns in the NFL, and that's a good problem to have. Yeah, I mean, I think not a guy that we haven't talked about. We've talked about him some, but uh, we do have to mention Quandre Diggs for Seattle, uh, picking off Baker Mayfield for a win on uh, Saturday, Sunday, uh, picking him off, getting him into the playoffs, uh, come to find out. Yep. So, like Quandre the Giant making plays, keeping his old team out of the playoffs, actually. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty beautiful. Um, he kept the Lions. Another guy who helped keep the Lions out of the playoffs was Baker Mayfield, who threw that interception. He kept three teams out of the playoffs. He played for the Rams, Lions, and Panthers, who all missed uh, the playoffs. But uh, Quandary was great, man. 71 tackles, four interceptions, one uh, forced fumble, seven PBUs. A man who's getting up there in years but still knows how to make a play. Again, an overtime interception that leads to the game-winning drive that sends you to the playoffs. Pretty good. Um he did kind of point at his former teammate, and I wonder if there was something in there a little bit. But, you know, Quandre's going to Quandre. He ain't going to take nothing from nobody, and I love that about him. And that's why he is, this week, our Longhorn of the Week. Much deserved, Quandre the Giant. We love you. 
All right, Gerald, let's move on from there. We could spend a long time talking about each of those guys, but let's wrap it up. The big bit of Godzilla Tron. What have you been watching? What are you planning to watch? What do you got going on on your giant screen? Um, not a ton this last week. Uh, watch some college football. I don't know if you knew that was going on. Uh, the one big streamer for my wife and I, <laughs> uh, we finished off Mythic Quest Season 3. Uh, absolutely just continues to be one of the uh, most underrated comedies on TV. Just hilarious. Uh, funny. I, the the two... they Episode 7 of every season is like a... I don't even know how to describe it. A... um like a flashback episode and it's always kind of sad and melancholy. And so uh, this, this year's was just as sad and melancholy as it always is. So uh, I really appreciate them continuing to just beat me down emotionally. Uh, but it had some beautiful <laughs> moments in it. Obviously uh, we, I, again, my wife and I really enjoyed it. Hilarious. Very laugh out loud. Funny. Uh, there's some te- university of Texas, like alum folks that I think work on the shows. So, like check it out. There's also a, a Samuel Clemens Buffalo who works on the show. Shout outs to, to our boy, Randall Castillo, uh, who writes for that show. Um, I still have not watched it, and I'm sorry, Randall. I will. I promise. Uh, <laughs> I watched. Dude, get it together. I know. I know. I know. He. Uh, we don't watch Spurs together anymore, so I have nothing to. Uh, I, we used to. We used to catch up on the Spurs updates, and you don't need to do that. They're just tanking to get the number one pick. But um, what I did watch, Gerald, uh, in addition to finishing out the second season of uh, the TV show Sex Lives of College Girls, um, I also watched uh, on HBO a movie that my wife suggested and she said she'd heard good things. And I was pretty sure I had heard the opposite of good things, but I went with it. Um, I'll just say after watching this blockbuster, uh, quote unquote, um, I understood why they kind of had to fabricate a bit of drama um, with like (laughs) people spitting on people and someone not having trouble with the director and almost leaving and Shia LaBeouf. Not, you know what I'm talking about that movie. It's called don't worry, darling, I believe. Um, And it's, perfectly adequate film. There's no reason to watch it if you hadn't um, been planning on it. If you were like, ooh, I wonder if all that drama I meant to get back and watch. You're, you're okay. You don't have to. You can. Um, th- there's some good per- singular performances in it, but it's just kind of, it's microwaved, right? It's, it's nothing in it is, is fresh. It's, it's reheated and microwaved and average in a lot of ways. It feels like they you know use a lot of like, hallucination cutaway scenes to give the depth and and artistry that they thought they were going for, but it's just like a microwave Stepford wives. It's fine. It's don't worry about it. If you also have uh, a spouse who'd like you to watch it or you yourself thought you wanted to watch it. I'm not going to tell you can't, but you know, it may not be the best use of your time. Watch uh, mythic quest seasons one through three instead. The people involved in that movie, like, you know, like Florence Pugh, Great actress, Olivia. She Wilde. was great. She was great. Great creative. I am not sold on the Harry Styles as an actor thing. Just not, not for me. He wasn't bad. Like it wasn't like he made the movie unwatchable. He wasn't the thing that you know tanked it. It just wasn't a great movie. Well, there you go. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this? week um in, in a bit of uh uplifting homage to to our fallen tcu brethren um our buddy parker at stats of war on twitter you know is is one of the best in the game out there at, at uh college football stats graphs analysis you know things that look pretty but also tell a story um so you know uh 
should probably be checking out what he's putting out. But uh, before the national championship game, when it just became sads of war, he um, he put out some some Big Twelve rushing numbers that jumped off the page to me. Um, and what he said is, you can kind of qualify a team's run game to look at how many yards uh, after contact and how much that affected their ultimate success rate right um and so they put all he put all the 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 10 big 12 teams um with a with a kind of bar graph with a a fully you know dark color that basically if you read it this way i'm probably butchering his view but that's what the offensive line provided for a running back and then the opaque portion above it um you know is is what the team ultimately achieved right and that's the big 12 um success rate both before and after contact think of it that way now if you remember back to your stats and to gerald and i breaking it down texas was second in the big 12 in rushing success rate total like they were good they were real good uh almost 50 percent texas was dead last in rushing success rate before contact um you know if they're close to 50 percent total they were under 20 percent or right around 20 percent in the before um you know tcu 25 percent ou uh 28 ish percent right all the rest of the teams are are you know exponents above where ut was and i thought that's interesting you know ut had I don't want to say the worst offensive line, but the best running back, right? And we knew that in the Big 12. So I was curious how it looked in other conferences. And he put out SEC, and then he put out Big 10. And I remember there was a lot of people in the Big 10 who were clamoring um, for Blake Corum. And, and a lot of people saying that he should be the, the, he's the best back, and he should have won the Doak Walker and whatever, whatever. Blake Corum's is almost 30%. His, his offensive line um, basically accounted for. So if you look at this part, if you put those two charts next to each other, you know, Bijan is doing more before Corum even has to break a sweat, uh, basically every carry. And I think it just, you know, I like stats. I like the, the, the graphs. Uh, I love the eye test, but it's nice when you can back it up. And I think we said that very thing on this podcast and shouts out to stats of war. I think he tweeted it on, uh, and we retweeted it from our, our podcast as well. So, uh, you should have seen it there if you're following us as you should be. Um, but if not go check it out and, and follow it back to Parker's thread with all the different teams. It's an interesting graph, one of many that he makes all season. So shouts to Parker. Parker. And once again, shouts to Bijan. If you're following us and not Parker, you're doing you're doing Twitter wrong. Let's just be honest here. Follow us both. Uh, now, so I'm banging the drum this week on um, narratives, right? So we 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 made jokes about it and all those things about TCU getting absolutely demolished in the national championship game. And as soon as that happened, I knew the internet was I knew the internet was going to be annoying. I knew that all of the dumb takesmen. All of the two-loss Alabama fans, all of the other fans that felt like they should have been, that their team should have been in the playoff would be coming out. Doubting TCU's place among the national elites, right? And there are there are two things that I would like to say as we talk about the narratives around college football and around the college football playoff and who deserves to be there, right? Um if you think it's based on the name of the team or what Vegas would set the line at, then why do we even play the games? Michigan and TCU should have never played that game. We should have just moved Michigan along to the national championship game. But guess what? They lost, right? TCU beat them. 
right? TCU beat them at their own. Actually, TCU made them play a game like they haven't played all year and beat them, right? Like TCU did what they had done to a lot of teams all year and made you get outside of your identity and then beat you, right? And we can talk about Sonny Dykes and whether we'll be shocked in five years that TCU did what they did this year. That's another conversation for another day. But if you did not doubt the legitimacy of Michigan being in the college football playoff, yet you let last night, uh, you let, yet you let Monday's result make you doubt TCU's place. I like, what are you doing? Like, yes, TCU got run out of the stadium, but you know what? There are exactly zero teams in the country that wouldn't have gotten their behinds whooped. It may not have looked mm-hmm. like that, but part of that result was also the fact that Kirby Smart was a a chin hair away from losing in the semifinals. And so he was able to play up. And this is what makes Kirby Smart a great coach. He's able to take one of the most talented football teams that has ever existed and convince them they're underdogs, right? So them, them nearly going out sad. Ohio State going out in the saddest of saddest ways, which is hilarious still, by the way allowed him to play up that underdog doubters card. And they came out, and I, whether it was Alabama, whether it was Michigan, whether it was Ohio State, I feel like anybody would have gotten taken to the woodshed in that game. And so it just happened to be a little old TCU. It just happened to be a Big 12 team. And so the big bad SEC narrative continues. If you did not doubt Michigan's place in the college football playoff, yet you let Monday's game force you or cause you to doubt TCU's place in the playoff, Take a step back and re-examine the logic you're using. That's that's it. TCU was really lucky. They were also quite good. Just weren't you know anywhere near. They didn't have the the blue chip ratio that 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 Georgia had. No one besides Alabama is anywhere close. They they didn't have the you know 600 pounders. That's a slight exaggeration. They're probably 450. Just behemoths on both sides of the lines. Why do you think? Sark and Flood and, and, and the defensive coaches are, are prioritizing that. We're trying to build a Georgia. Georgia tried to build an Alabama, right? There's been a standard. There's been a precedent. It's changed. It's tweaked. Sark helped change that at Alabama on what the new you know answer looks like. Todd Munkin probably is underrated for the job he did with that Georgia offense, right? They didn't have the traditional weapons that a team that good has, but they had the best player, you know, offensive player in the country, arguably after Bijan and Brock Bowers. Uh, you notice how he did that there. Um, and they got, used him in interesting ways. And, and he was good enough that it made Stetson Bennett look like a good quarterback. He isn't, but that's fine. They still were, were good. Stetson Stetson Bennett is a perfectly fine quarterback and they have an elite defense and elite offensive line, really good running backs and two elite tight ends. And, and, you know, they were just the better team by a lot. And that's okay. That doesn't mean TC was bad. It doesn't invalidate TCU season. TC was lucky, but they were fun and they got there, right? They could have lost to Texas, could have lost to West Virginia, could have lost to Baylor, but they didn't. And they got there. So they earned it. They, they messed around and they found out. Um, but you know, that's, if you want to play big boy football, TCU, Got a chance to do it, and it's hard. So let your narratives lie. Just enjoy it. Like, that's the whole thing. Just enjoy football, man. It's, it's a lot more fun when you do. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carb. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook him. Hook him. For the love of God, don't try to hire John Kellogg.